Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. The podcast where Gabriel and I visit the 80s year by year and find out what happened. The year 1985, Walt Disney World receives its 200 million guest. The wreckage of the British luxury liner Titanic was discovered by oceanographer Robert Bollard 73 years after it sank. Britain agreed to return Hong Kong to China in 1997. Hong Kong was leased by China to Great Britain in 1898 for 99 years. And Calvin and Hobbes, the last great newspaper comic, debuts on November 18th. Before we keep going, this whole uh, Britain agreed to return, like, I was like, that was a thing? I did not know this. Um, there, there's a really good, I want to, I think it's a Vox video. And regardless of the viewpoint, it just provides a pretty clear explanation of like the dates and what happened and kind of why to, again, somebody like this came up recently because of the whole, the, like the, the situation, like there was the protests, I think that were happening in Hong Kong. And so people started looking at it. And so they made this video to explain why is the situation like this and what led to it. And it's very, it's very interesting. It's all the economic stuff. I need to, I need to, um, Look into this, and and it's quoted in return for terms guaranteeing a fifty-year extension of its capitalist system. Not sure what that means, but I imagine it's not good or so, not bad. <laughs> so basically, Hong Kong was the gateway to China, and back I don't remember how many years. I can't tell you off the top of my head, but up until fairly recently. Hong Kong like accounted for some absurd portion of China's GDP because that's where all the trading happened and all the West invested in the businesses and importing. And so even though its capitalist systems were contrary to mainland China's like ideology, it was too good to like change. And so basically as long as it was valuable as this huge portion of their GDP, they kind of were willing to like look the other way. As time has gone on, they've modified like how they implement capitalism. They've got this hybrid system where they kind of it's capitalism at the behest of the CCP, the Communist Party. And as long as everybody partakes, you know, all the citizens are willing to do the whole, you know, social credit, do what you're supposed to do, say what you're supposed to say. They've been the beneficiary of this exploding economy. And so as time has gone on, the rest of China has caught up and now surpassed Hong Kong. They don't really need it for its GDP anymore. So now they want it in lockstep ideologically instead. And that's what's led to this tension where they have these guarantees, but like China is starting to put push because like they don't need them for their money anymore. Like they've got money coming in elsewhere. So now they want them. It's kind of like how they want Taiwan to like not be its right, own thing. Right. It's more important for their image that it be this unified single ideology single people so it's that's what the shifting and so like that's what led to like a lot of the protests and the stuff because the people in hong kong a thought they were guaranteed this period and i mean it's not great because even knowing in 50 years you know it's going to change it's like ooh, that's not a good system to be in so yeah the the tension and the fact that it was being returned and then they yeah it's it's led to a lot of instability for the people who live there and do business there Oh wow! Damn, Gabe, look at you. We just became a, a official history podcast. <laughs> um, and then the other one, of course, Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, yeah. As as I near think, and dear. near and dear as as everyone I think on this podcast has listened. Uh, it is my favorite comic strip of all time. It is probably some of my favorite reading of all time. Um, it uh, so like as I mentioned, it came out in '85. It was out there for for ten years till '95. Bill Watterson basically ended it when he felt he had told the story. Like he never had he any just, he walked away. Yeah, walked away. This is this is amazing, right? So at the height of its popularity, it was featured in over twenty four hundred newspapers worldwide. 
2010, 50 countries did reruns of it. <laughs> um, nearly 45 million copies of Calvin and Hobbes books have been sold worldwide. This is this is where I kind of like I'm with Watterson, but at the same time, I almost feel like we missed out as an audience and as fans. Yeah. So as the cre as the creation grew in popularity, there was a strong interest from the syndicate, you know, whoever uh, who 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 maintained all his um, publications, to merchandise the characters and expand and expand into other forms of media. So Watterson's contract with the syndicate allowed the characters to not be licensed without the creator creator's consent, as was the standard at the time. And and Watterson would constantly leverage that by threatening to walk away from the comic strip if they tried doing that. It was a, a huge battle, but eventually uh, Watterson uh, was able to secure a contract that guaranteed him like complete control over his creation and all future licensing arrangements. Now, it, it, it's, it, in the article I was reading, it says that it's estimated that Watterson lost out on almost half a billion dollars of merchandising. I was going to say, like merchandising, like look at Star Wars, you know, just right? as an example of the, the foresight to retain merchandising rights. Like the dude had to walk away from a pile of money for this. Yeah. Because like, I mean, with very little effort, like one of my favorite activities back in the day as a kid going to the bookstore, I would always go over to the comic section and start reading the compilation books, right? And one by one, I bought them as I had money. <laughs> and so I haven't like, I mean the classic I'm, I'm living in a house and I haven't, you know, most of my boxes aren't packed somewhere in these boxes. I have like, I think I have four of the different anthologies so far. And uh, I, I love those. I used to take them on car trips as a kid. That's what I would read in the car is I'd sit there and flip through Calvin and Hobbes. Oh. You know, I just, I, I, you know, one of my favorite things and identified with the character so much. Yeah, it is. Like, it is weird. People would have bought whatever, right? Toys, shows, you know, uh, you, you could have made uh, cartoons out of the, the strips at this point. You know, there's enough story. You could have done Spaceman Spiff's. Oh, like, right. You know. And and I'm like you. I, I had a bunch of books and then they, they released a definitive collection. Yeah. That 70 pound three book. Yeah, the monstrosity. I, the, it is my <laughs> prized possession that I got rid of. I, I gave away every other book I had. And just now I have the entire collection from beginning to end in the proper so order. The other thing that this dude did that, again, you talk about you have a vision and you talk about the integrity and how you see your work. He changed the structure of the Sunday panels because they had a. You know, they had a very much a, a three-tier, four, you know, four-panel uh, way of showing the comic. And he was like, no, no, like, with Calvin and Hobbes, I needed to do this and this to be able to tell the story, you know? And uh, and they had to, like, go his way so that he ended up getting, like, half a page of the front page of the comic section on Sundays because he was like, this isn't just a comic strip. This is art, you know? Like, he was really pushing it. And he, 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 you know, based on that, like, it changed the way that, that, that Sunday comics were being presented be because of the, yeah. because of what the vision of the artist was. It's incredible, man. I'm, I'm, I'm just, um, shout out to Cat here for, for making sure that we did not miss this. Um, moving on to births. So real quick, oh, yeah. I just looked up because I, I looked at Walt Disney World and I was like, how long was that open for them to hit 200 million? 1928? 85. Was that? Was it 1928? So Walt Disney World didn't open until 71 because that's that's Florida. Right. So that's 71. No, but Disneyland was available in California already, right? Yeah, this is Walt Disney World, though. Is that specific to like Walt oh. Disney World? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Because if that's so, because I looked at that, that, it was opened in 71. So in 14 so years. 14 years. They got 200 doing million the, guests. So it's 14 million, 285,714.3. That point three really gets you. People a year. Jesus. If that's, because I thought, holy, like, because I was like, that's, that's Florida. Like I've been to Disneyland so many times. I've never been to Walt Disney World. Is this where you look and say, what, how many guests have gone to Disneyland? And it's just going to blow you away. I don't even think I don't, I don't even I, is I, am I gonna under, am I gonna like at a certain point the zeros like numbers lose meaning you know <laughs> like I don't even know what I'm gonna do with that 
Because so, I, I guess kind of like a millionaire being offended, uh, a billionaire being offended by being called a millionaire. He's like, no, no, no. there's a hundred thousand dollars and there's nine hundred thousand, uh, nine hundred million dollars, but there's like one billion guy. There's a difference, right? So you're like, there has to be that milestone. Well, there was the. Um, I don't. I haven't seen it myself, <clears throat> but there's. I've seen reference to like. There's a thing where like somebody like you know one of those things where they walk up to people in the street and have the microphone and ask them like, hey, how much you know how much money is whatever. Mm-hmm. You like ask people like, hey, how much money you know how how much would you have to spend per day to spend like you know a million dollars in ten years? And, you know, uh, you know, people generally are kind of bad with math. They're like, I don't know, like a thousand dollars a day, you know, whatever. And he, he you know he gives them the actual answer and then he goes, what do you think it is for a billion? And they go up, but they don't go up proportionally enough because it's like a thousand times more money whatever it was you had to spend he's like no no no, you'd have to spend and it's just like to show like the absurdity of that much like money like how hard would it actually even be like you'd have to do like ridiculous stuff so Um, just out of curiosity what is it for a million how many thousands a day do you have to spend is it is it three thousand a day or thirty five hundred a day i don't remember but we could we could find that out right I'm still looking at Disney stuff. <laughs> oh, I thought you were doing the math for the... No, no, no. <laughs> I've, okay. got, I've got this. All right. You do the Disney and I'll do the um, $1 million. So it says the Magic Kingdom theme park at Walt Disney World is the best number I can find. Hmm. In 2021, reported $12.7 million. So that's so the only random number I'm getting is just 2021, which is the year after a pandemic. And you were saying fourteen million, right? Yeah. So that that adds year, up. Absolutely. That adds up. It kind of it it jives. And again, obviously, Disney World having been open since way earlier on means that when Disney World opened in Florida, people already knew what they were getting into and what they wanted. You didn't have to discover it and go like, "Wow, this is worth going to." There's no buildup. It's immediate. Yeah, Gabe. To spend a million dollars a year, you have to spend twenty seven hundred dollars a day. And I think people were guessing like a thousand. They were like, "I don't know, like a thousand dollars a day." So they were already off. And then people said, like, okay, like, he's like, how much do you need to do to do a billion? And people would be like, I don't know, like $5,000 a day. And it's like, no, no, no. You have to go, like, a thousand times, times more. Holy shit. Yeah. So, like, you know, again, the numbers start to get to the point where you're just like, I don't, I don't even fuck. I, I can't conceptualize that. Look, like, it I, means nothing to me. I can, I, I can probably, oof, I think for the first months, if I tried really hard, I could do $2,700 a week. I think I could average spending enough money because you think of like all the things you could do like you, you know you, pay, you buy a house you pay off a house you pay no you know you stuff. no you know how you spend that much you don't mm-hmm. own a house and you travel and your plane ticket I, and your hotel rooms every night and your food every I mean, night i think you do both <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe that's how you spend the money and then maybe you can you do 2700 and it's no wonder these idiots are going to space because like well how else are you going to spend them like you literally you got to start thinking of dumb shit to do with it. Like, yeah, launch a car into space, whatever. Here, where, where do I swipe the card? You know? That's interesting. Jesus. It's insane. All right, that was a, a big old tangent. Sorry about that. No worries, no worries. We're going to we're gonna uh, talk about births here. Um, Emil Hirsch, American actor. I I think everybody knows him from Into the Wild. Uh, and the last one that I saw him was, was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, he, first time I saw him was in the Lords of Dogtown about uh, the skating in Venice, and he was in the movie with Mark Wahlberg, uh, the Lone Survivors, sur- Lone Survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a good actor. That's, that's all I got on Emil Hirsch. Then we move into uh, singer, uh, songwriter, rapper, record producer, and actor T Pain, the man responsible for not responsible for creating Out of Tune, but for making it accessible to everyone and their mothers and creating a career on it that then almost destroyed music for a bit. Because <laughs> the, the trend gets too popular. Because the grandmother of Autotune, is, as we all know, is the great Cher. He just came and said, how do I... I can't find it. How do I make that sound? And he made it. He made an album, a very successful album, that then blew up to everybody using it. Now, here's the thing. Some people have successfully used autotune. Some people have not. I will say this, look, and, you know, um, I hate to admit this, but Kanye West's 808 and Heartbreaks is a phenomenal album, and that thing is 99% autotune. But it's, it's, a, it's one of music's greatest 
creations. The man is a mad genius and a fucking uh, a, a person that needs help. But anyway, but yeah, there's that. And then there's everything else that people did with Autotune. Just going to put it out there. Next up is, uh, I don't know if you know this guy. I happen to like him quite a bit. Rahul Kohli. He first, uh, he's an English actor. He first uh, got on my radar on a TV show called iZombie. And it was about a, um, it was about a, a police forensics team. And one of the people who works on the team is a zombie, but she uses her powers to help solve crimes because if she eats people's brains... She can then. I saw the ads for that show. Yeah, yeah. It's actually really. It was. It was good. It was on for like five years, I think. It was a good show. Wow. I, I got into him on there. He's he's a he's a really great Twitter personality too. And then yeah, he's had a couple shows. Um, he did the voice of Scarecrow on the Harley Quinn show, and I am looking forward to the next project he's working on, which is the Fall uh, Fall of the House of Usher, and uh, Midnight Mass, which he was good into. But uh, one thing I saw that he voiced a show called The Rocketeer, and I was like, "There's a TV show called The Rocketeer," because I'm familiar with the with the great movie The Rocketeer, the, the OG movie I remember. From Apparently, being a kid in 2020, Disney Junior had a TV show called The Rocketeer, where it's like kids doing Rocketeer stuff. All right, so, so I learned something. But yeah, Rahul Cole. Did not know. Really, really. You know what that setup for that show reminds me of? What? Um, tangentially, uh, that Alan Tudyk, Resident Alien, just with the setup of someone being weird and being okay. I've never seen that either. I I saw three or four episodes of that. Here's the thing. Um, there is a really great comic book that I read in like thirteen years ago, probably called Chew, and it was about a police detective who anything he tasted. Anything he ate, he could trace back to everything that mm-hmm. thing did. So he couldn't eat anything because even vegetables, even yeah. vegetables had feelings. So he would eat turnips because turnips had no feelings. <laughs> Damn. Get shit on turnips. <laughs> so yeah, so he would eat, he would, he would started out as a normal human being. And then he's like, oh, can't eat meat anymore because I can feel when the chicken was killed, when it, how it was raised, everything. Moved on to vegetables, and he's like, "Oh damn, I can I can feel the carrot the crying." Life and times of broccoli, and then it got to turnips, and he's like, "Oh, turnips have no feelings." <laughs> but man, I I sense some 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 unresolved childhood trauma that they. It's a <laughs> it's a had. it's a great comic book. That is a great comic book, and but sometimes in order to be able to solve a crime, when he was at a crime scene, he would take a bite out of the victim. <laughs> <laughs> because then that could tell him what they suffered before they died, and they, he could see who the killer was. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty uh, obvious kind of uh, launch point. For this I was other always show, surprised yeah. that they never turned that into a TV show. Because I, I mean, thought they it was did, I guess. Yeah, but uh, the comic book True is I highly, highly recommend that. That was such no, a that great is a comic. very um, that is a unique storytelling device. It is. It I is. like it. Um, next up, we have Gal Gadot, Israeli actress and model. I got hip onto her with Fast and Furious, and then she was Wonder Woman, and then I think she did Red Notice and Death on the Nile, and that's about all I know about Gal Gadot. Uh, I don't know whether I do or don't like the work she's in, but I never, I, I will say this, with the exception of Wonder Woman, I've never gotten out of my way to watch anything she's been in. Yeah, I think my only actual exposure has been Wonder Woman, which I think it was a good cast. Oh, no, she's perfect, um, yeah. I admire the effort that goes into playing a role like that. I think she did a credible job. Yeah. That's all I really know about her. Next up, we have Tatiana Maslany. Uh, again, I know she's been an actress for a while, but She-Hulk, that's it. And she is perfect and wonderful and amazing, and I will watch anything she's in after She-Hulk. She has such an amazing personality. Uh, I That's all I know, but thank God she was born in 85. <laughs> you still haven't watched She-Hulk, have you? I have not. It's fun. It's fun. Uh, last up, we have uh, the silkiest man alive, Bruno Mars. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think I first got into him. Like, I know he had done other songs before uh, Uptown Funk, but after that, I was, I was a lifelong fan. And then the shit that he's done with Anderson Paak with the Silk Sonic, 
Oh, my God. That is a musical genius, uh, Bruno Mars. Just incredible. My exposure is somewhat limited just because um, I listen to less uh, music in that genre. However, I have had the pleasure of working at a couple of events he's been at and hearing him live at those. And you can't deny talent. The talent. Like it's, it's, well, I mean, it's just, I mean, even again, even with that not being kind of my wheelhouse for music, like it's good. Yeah. I think Engaging. it's, I think it's one of those things where like, like I, I, there's genres of music that I don't listen to, but then there's like certain people that you're like, that has nothing to do with the genre. That nope. is just a very like, like the stuff that Post Malone does. That genre of music, I actually don't like. But certain songs that he's done, I was like, I'm a fan. Damn, Real, so good. Yeah. I saw him. I got to see him perform too, and again, it was excellent. Like, do recommend. All right, and moving on to deaths, we got two. First guy, Victor Ferris, American inventor and businessman. He is. Noted as the man that took glass milk bottles and said these are too heavy. And he invented and trademarked the paper milk carton. Uh, that's why paper uh, milk cartons were, were used instead of uh, glass bottles. Easier to transport, uh, weighed less, and uh, just better overall. Unless you're Canadian. Unless you're Canadian. It is also believed that he also invented the paperclip, but there's there's some there's some uh, controversy as far as like you know patent pending stuff like that. Damn! Can you imagine being the person that invented the paperclip and not being able to get credit? It's it's one of those things that 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 like variations of it have come, but there's never been an upgrade, huh? It is like unless you count Clippy. Yeah, well, but I mean, isn't he technically an upgrade? I mean, he's a talking, you know, he's a talking assistant paperclip. That's that's the closest I could think of to an upgrade to the standard format. And that's only if you like Clippy. Yeah. Which a lot of people did not. I will say no. I was one of them. I definitely <laughs> opted out when Clippy came on. I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> Clippy controversy. Um, so, Gabe, did you know that beer was the first... Uh, product that was canned paving the way for everybody else because much like uh, beer bottles um, the companies were noticing that like hey distribution's getting bigger and it's getting costlier because of bottles and the reuse of bottles and uh, you know everything like that and there so they started out with in 1909, they started out with beer being put into cans, and eventually uh, everyone else started joining in. Just, you know, a little fun fact. You know, I didn't know that, but, like, I got to say, I think hasn't beer been, like, driving innovation in, in the entire time it's existed? I believe so. I believe so. I, you always bet on beer, I feel like, for innovation. Yeah. Actually, that makes sense. Uh, moving on to the second death. Uh, Orson Welles, American director, actor, producer, and screenwriter. He is uh, remembered for his innovation work in film, radio, and theater. He is considered to be among the greatest and most influential filmmakers of all time. Uh, Citizen Kane is consistently ranked as one of the greatest films ever made, which he co-wrote, produced, and directed, and starred in. He also was the person that brought Macbeth, Othello, Don Quixote, or Don Quixote, uh, into popularity in film. He, uh, Citizen Kane received nine award nominations, uh, Academy Award nominations in 1941, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actor in a Leading Role for himself. It won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. Orson Welles is also the individual who, in 1938, doing a radio anthology, is the one that got international fame as the director and narrator of the radio adaptation for uh, the War of the Worlds, which um, caused quite a bit of a stir because people who were not uh, maybe who didn't start at the beginning of the uh, broadcast started believing that it was actually happening. Yeah, he definitely. So I remember being a kid, I got to listen to that. Um, that was something that we listened to in the car at some point on some family trip or something. I that was framed am, as. I am not surprised. Yeah, that was framed as like, hey, this was a, a significant event at one point because people believed this, you know, and uh, it, was, it was 
it was funny as a kid thinking like what <laughs> what but it sounds it sounds idiots. like a story <laughs> aliens but then but then i've become an adult and seen some of the things that people believe in a month like, nah, that's it's, true it's, actually i would i would not be far-fetched to believe that if this happened now and people believed it that uh that we'd have a, a small group of people in the percentage of the world who were like no no it's real it's purple it's not gold being covered up yeah uh, so Orson Welles died at the age of 70 from a heart attack. You know, I'll be honest with you. I saw Citizen Kane in high school. So sometime in the 90s. I don't remember it. I don't remember it being great. Now, I saw it with the eyes of like a 14, 15 year old kid who was not the movie file and pop culture icon that I am now. Uh, you know, some would call me a hero, but hey, I'm not here to. To, to correct anybody. Uh, so I've been meaning to like, let me see if I should watch this movie again. Or is it, but part of me is like, am I too far away from it where I might not, you know, like. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, it's, it's on my list for this year, to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever seen it. I know a lot about it simply because of the acclaim. But like, it's one of those things where I like, not having a ton of a frame of reference for it, I feel like it's probably an incredible film and maybe just not as much of at this point because of the removal from the time and stuff, like a movie that would be as entertaining. You know what I'm saying? Like we've had that distinction of it's a film. Like it definitely gets its acclaim. It deserves, I I believe that, you know, and for its time and, and what was done. But like at this point, I kind of wonder, like just taking a quick look, <laughs> it's got a 99 Rotten Tomatoes. Jesus. Okay. But it's got a 82% of Google users liked it, 8.3 out of 10 on IMDb, and an 89 just watched. So again, I think its acclaim is probably, but like it's probably less enjoyable yeah. for people nowadays than it was. But yeah, but it's definitely something I might give a shot to this year. Yeah. Uh, moving on to films that came out in 85, and we continue with a ridiculous amount of great films that came out in 1985. We'll start off with... The movie Teen Wolf, starring Michael J. Fox. Gabe, have you seen Teen Wolf? I have not. Have you heard of Teen Wolf? Yes. Okay. Because if you hadn't, I was actually going to have you do a synopsis of it just based on the title. (laughs) (laughs) And putting on your filter that it's 1980s. So what would a Teen Wolf be in the 1980s? Um, As I mentioned, starring Michael J. Fox, directed by Rob Daniel and written by Joseph Love and Matthew Wiseman. Joseph Love, let me tell you, uh, he was a producer-writer on the TV series Smallville and Lost, writer for the films Commando, executive producer for the show Heroes. I don't know if you ever saw that show, which was a great show. I, I watched, I watched, I didn't get to see the whole thing, but I did watch a couple seasons of it. From 2010 to 2019, Loeb was the head and executive vice president of Marvel Television. He was also a comic book uh, writer. Um, some of his uh, some of his work ended up in the New York Times bestseller, include including a lot of the major characters that we're familiar with: Spider Man, Batman, Superman, Hulk, Captain America, Cable, Iron Man, Daredevil, Supergirl, The Avengers, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, the man was onto something, and it, and it showed early. Uh, so, Gabe, uh, Teen Wolf is the story of a high school student whose ordinary life is changed when he discovers that he's a werewolf. Not only that, though, but as a werewolf, that he's a pretty stellar uh, basketball player. As werewolves are known to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, It received mixed reviews, but was a commercial success, Gabe. On a $4 million budget, how much do you think this movie made? Oh, no. Um... Four million dollars is not a lot. Yeah, it doesn't take much to be a success. Um, let's go with uh, sixty million. Close, eighty million. I almost said eighty-two, and I was like, I was like, it's if we go a little more than ten x, <laughs> like it's it's way it's way more than a success already. God, that's like that's like twenty times its money. Yeah, yeah. God damn. The film's success spawned an animated series in eighty-six and the sequel in eighty-seven. Um, the sequel only saw two of the original cast members return, and Michael J. Fox was not one of them. But do you know who was? That's their mistake. Jason Bateman, Teen Wolf 2. Ah? Oh. 
And in 2011, they did a TV series, Teen Wolf. Because, <laughs> you know, everything old is new again. Bottle lightning. Uh, yeah, no, this is one of these weird movies because half the time, Michael J. Fox is just wearing this, you know, ridiculous. mutton chops and like ridiculous, like slick haired back, you know, constantly in, in wolf mode. And I just remember he was just, and I think maybe that that was the moral of the story that when he became the wolf man, he, his confidence went up. And really, you know, it it was a metaphor. Becoming the wolf man was, was, was him, you know, being a little more eccentric. Yeah, no, uh, there was nothing. I mean, it's, it has its, its, its things that were okay at the time that are not okay now type of scenarios, just like any 80s movie. But, you know, not, I, 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 it's not a movie that I would say must watch. Now, speaking of m- movies that I will say are must watches, our second film of the day, Rambo, First Blood, Second Part. <laughs> Directed by uh, George uh, Cosmatos, co-written by Stallone, starring Stallone. With uh, Richard Crenna, Charles Napier, and Julia Nixon. The film's plot is inspired by the Vietnam War POW MIA issue that was happening in the 80s. In the movie, Rambo gets released from prison in a deal with the U.S. government to document, so do recon, on possible existence of missing POWs in Vietnam. But Rambo's given strict orders not to rescue any. What do you think Rambo does, Gabe? I think I think Rambo has got to rescue him because that's just who he is. Indeed. When Rambo defies his orders, he's abandoned and forced once again to rely on his own brutal combat skills to save the POWs. And we wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> no other way. I would be I would have mixed reviews of Rambo if he had said I see POWs, I'm going to go back, and I'll be back for you guys later when you might be alive. Or if he even just calls in, you know, support, and like, you know, it's just a whole bunch of, no, it's not what we're here for. Now we're here for. It's not what I signed up for. Not my America. Uh, <laughs> despite mixed reviews, Rambo First Blood Part Two was a major global blockbuster with an estimated... 42 million tickets sold in the United States, becoming the second highest grossing film at the domestic box office and third highest grossing film worldwide. What do you think that gross was? Oh, no. I don't even... Uh, Whatever I number you're thinking, add 50 million. Uh, 350 million? Oh. Well, no, you were right the first time. 300 million. <laughs> Oh, okay. I thought three hundred, and so I added fifty. I thought you were. I thought you would think two to two fifty. No, I remember because I re, I don't remember exactly, but I know we had some absurd numbers. And if it was the third highest, I was like, let's see, how would it place on this list? That's really good. I think I need to get in sync with you more. Now, this movie was a higher budget though. It was forty-four million, so it only it they, only got six right. times. It only got six times its money back. Ah, uh, drat. I know. It's a. <sighs> So I, I, I'm still, I think Rambo 1 is still my favorite. It's still just, I think that First Blood is still my favorite. Yeah. Part 2 is definitely entertaining. Now, some would say Part 3 is the best. I would disagree with every one of those people. But Part 2 is pretty damn good. Um, and I, but, I, but again, it's one of those things where it's like, it's, it's, I love Vietnam films. And this is like a modern, you know, so it's a, you know. Anyway, no, it's a, it's a good film. Definitely something that I think people should watch. Next film we have, Red Sonja, directed by Richard Fleischer, written by Clive Exton and George McDonald, based on characters created by Robert Howard, the Conan Red Sonja characters, starring Bridget Nielsen, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Sandal Bergman. The musical score for this movie was composed by the, great, the late great Ennio Morricone, as we all know, I mean, that alone makes this movie amazing. So I have nothing else to say. Have you seen Ritania? You know, I can't be 100% sure. Like, I know I saw the first Conan. The Barbarian. And then after that, I, I, if I have, it's, it hasn't been since I was a kid. And if you have, you might be confusing it with, like, Conan the Destroyer. Huh? Like, yeah. if you saw one of I them, can't... you're like, okay. Yeah, yeah. So the only difference is in this one, you you definitely get her backstory. Like at the beginning, she's attacked and raped and her family gets killed. And she sets out to avenge her family's murder to get rid of the of this evil witch. Um, 
And along the way, she collects people that are going to help her. One of them being the barbarian that she meets, Conan. Um, He's always down for a little revenge. You know, he always is. He always is. So this is considered a box office bomb. How much do you think a box office bomb made in 1985? What was his budget? $18 Ooh, so if it's a bomb... Did it make like, like forty million? I mean, that's still double its. I think we have a different definition of what bomb is again. (laughs) Did oh, it had to make less? Less than the budget, yeah. Okay, I mean, you were saying in comparison, I was like, everything else make it like ten, twenty, six times its amount. Maybe they consider it a bomb fit. Okay, so hang on, eighteen. Did it make like ten? No, it didn't even make ten. Oh no! (laughs) Yeah. With Conan, it didn't even make ten. Uh oh. Yeah, it made six. Ouch. And maybe this is how they knew like this was the end of Conan because this was the Ooh. third one and they stopped here. Look, it's a fun film. Uh, I, I, you know, it's sorcery. It's, it, it's, it, 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 I think it's one of those films that, that starts uh, and continues like that style. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this film. I, I didn't realize that it was so bad. But it's also, you know, it's the 80s and you're putting a female as the lead and... Eighty says boo, and you made her, and you made her a redhead. I mean, you're putting a lot of things against her. Just saying, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, no, I, I actually have seen this movie a few times. There is nothing wrong with this film, but apparently the box office thinks otherwise. Huh? Maybe you you think that some of it might just be how flooded this year was with other options. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a ton of movies. You're right. Um, let's uh, the next couple films I'm going to talk about wouldn't have affected this because they were I feel like they all became cult classics and were not as accepted when they came out, right? Yeah. Have you ever heard of Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins? No. It's I saw it once, dude, and and I talked about this like ditching school and having that film come on at noon on Channel 11. That's the first time I saw Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. It starts Fred Ward and Fred Ward, you will know from I mean, you'll know him from Tremors. He was okay. He was not Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Amazingly charismatic actor. He was great in Escape from Alcatraz. He went. He was in the right stuff. He was in. Uh, he's. He was working up until 2022. Like the dude is a great actor. Um, but I remember watching that movie and I was like, this is really good. And it's basically, but the the actual description, right? So it's based on a book series. Uh, pulp paperback, The Destroyer, an officially dead cop, quote-unquote, is trained to become an extraordinary, unique assassin in service of the U.S. president. Sam Mucking is a tough Brooklyn, New York street cop and Vietnam-era Marine Corps veteran, as you as you are. He is unwillingly recruited as an assassin for the United States organization CURE, C-U-R-E. The recruitment is through a bizarre method. His death is faked, and he is given a new face and new name, his face is surgically altered, and he is trained to be a human killing machine by his aged, derisive, and impassive Korean martial arts master, Chung. So he learns mar- weird martial arts. So there's a montage of him learning weird martial arts, like which eventually happens running on water. Yeah, that happens at the end of the film. I'm not going to lie. If this doesn't tell you Blockbuster must watch. Set up. <laughs> It's a fan. Look, it is such a fun, fun film to watch. I'm not even like I'm not even being funny or 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 sarcastic. I've seen this movie a dozen times. It's it's a fun film, dude. And and I'm and I'm and again, I'm I'm stupid enough to think why didn't this do well? And again, it's just same reason probably why said Ritania didn't. It just was the wrong time, wrong place for it, or or whatnot. But. But if they remade this, I think it would be like, but it's hard to say. Like, we live in a world where, you know, it just wouldn't make sense. But anyway, fun movie. Remo Williams, fun, fun film. Huh. Yeah. And we talked about it before uh, uh, or in, in, in conversation, but Enemy Mine. This is the Wolfgang Peterson movie that stars Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr., a human soldier and an alien soldier, respectively, who become stranded together in an inhospitable planet and must overcome their mutual distrust in order to, co- to cooperate and survive. Fun film. 
these two are getting to know each other. They're working to survive, living together. Uh, and then something on the planet is going on where they have to work together. Actually, no, it's actually very endearing. Now that I remember, the alien soldier is, um, he is male, but he can also uh, be pregnant. But mm. what is it called when a, when an animal, when a mammal Ooh, can impregnate a itself? Specific. But yeah, when it can impregnate itself to reproduce. So anyway, it has that storyline. And it's one of those that after it gives birth, it dies, I believe. So the two guys, you know, the human and the alien are, you know, they're an odd couple. And they hate each other and are trying to kill each other on this, on this planet. They eventually have to learn to work together to survive while they wait to be rescued. And they eventually become friends. Uh, the alien becomes pregnant and has the kid and then he dies. And then the human becomes the parent of this alien kid and he raises him and then um there's some sort of mining and slave mining and the kid gets kidnapped that way and then he has to go rescue him it should not have done that it's honestly a really good film it's i don't know why i remember this film so well but um yeah so what what's the what's the term okay parthenogenesis is the is the act of doing it Plants, algae, some invertebrate species, and even some other um, types of creatures, uh, including, uh, for example, the New Mexico whiptail lizard. Okay. But yeah, so this alien's a, a New Mexico lizard. Um, and I think the movie also had a lot going against it, right? So originally budgeted at $17 million, it ended up costing $40 million after marketing costs. Box office failure. Uh -oh. Yeah, box office failure. Barely made $12 million. However, the film was successful in the former Soviet Union, where it became the first Western sci-fi film to be shown in theaters. And then it later gained a cult following. <laughs> I know. So that's got to be a case of just, if it was the first one allowed, like everyone just went to see because they're like, ah, Western movie, and they wanted to see. And it was lucky enough to be the one. But did not get that same treatment in America. No, because we had all these other options. Yep. Our decadence. I feel like something else happened during the release of this film, too. I remember reading that I think it came out around the same time that, like, that, like, um, like Back to the Future had come out. And it was just controlling. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No, I'm thinking of the next film. Yeah, no, I'm thinking of the next film. Sorry. So the next film, The Explorers. Have you heard of, of The Explorers? Doesn't doesn't uh, ring a bell. Okay, directed by Joe Dante, jo, Joe Dante, starring Ethan Hawke, River Phoenix, and Jason Presson. They star as teenage boys who build a spacecraft to explore outer space. So they build the spacecraft, they go into outer space, and then aliens grab them. And the aliens have been watching American films and pop culture, so that's how they think America acts based on the films that were produced. It's a it's a coming of age like you know, kids fantasy of like if i went into space and met aliens but it's got a like a you know 10 year old ethan hawk and like an eight-year-old river phoenix it's ridiculous yeah. cool and the special effects were produced by industrial light and magic gabe the great the great and the makeup effects were by robert botton robert botton was um makeup effects creator known for his collaborations with john carpenter and david fincher he worked on The Fog, The Thing, on Robocop, Total Recall, on Seven, and in Fight Club. He also did The Howling, Legend, Inner Space, and Some of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So wow. it had a lot going for it. It really did. Uh, yeah, it's a, again, it's a, it's a fun kids film. It's one of those movies that reminds me of like when the kids are the cast, you know, and like they, they you, you follow them and less of the adults. Mm-hmm. Fun film. Uh, last movie we'll talk about, just because I, I always thought these movies were fun, and because I recently watched um, uh, the latest adaptation of it, adaptation of it, Fletch, starring Chevy Chase, based on Gregory McDonald's popular Fletch novels. Um, the film revolves around a Los Angeles Times reporter, Irwin Fletch Fletcher, who is offered a large sum of money by a millionaire to kill him, claiming he has a terminal cancer prognosis and suicide would Im would invalidate the, his life insurance policy. Fletch, Fletch becomes suspicious when he discovers the man is not ill. When he continues to investigate, his life is threatened. It's a it, it's it's 
Chevy Chase at his best, just deadpan comedy, really witty uh, comebacks. It's a really fun film. They made two, Fletch and Fletch Lives. And then last year, John Hamm did uh, Fletch Confess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's they're really good films. I, I don't I don't know why they don't get like recognized more. Uh, fun films and even the John the John uh, Ham film didn't get a lot of PR. Like I don't remember. Yeah, seeing... no, I, I vaguely remember hearing, but I didn't know what it was. Yeah, but it was based on this character, uh, you know, like and you know, like he's a he's from LA because he wears like a Lakers hat and like Lakers, you know, like he's a local. <laughs> yeah, but it, but you know, it's it's really they're really well written and 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 Chevy Chase was perfect for the role. Um, yeah, just, you know, wanted to bring that up because those were, that was a really fun film to watch. All right. Uh, moving on to first appearances, we have Chris Rock, who, you know, among many things goes on to get slapped by Will Smith at the 2022 Oscars. (laughs) The slap heard around the world. Did you hear about his comedy special on Netflix? I did. And I listened to, I saw the the bit where he talks specifically. I definitely watched that part. He, he is not over that situation. No, no, no. He is, uh, he is. He is very, very much called out Will Smith. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. He is. Um, yeah. I haven't watched it, but much like you, I did see the um, the clip and uh, and I was like, oh, he's uh, going hard. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, then we have uh, Christian Slater, The Legend of Billy Jean. Christian Slater goes on to make some pretty decent films in the 80s. I distinctly remember him from a movie called Pump Up the Volume, where he plays a high schooler who has a pirate radio network or show that all the high schoolers are listening to, and it's causing a ruckus in the town where like the police are involved and they have to shut them down. <laughs> and he's all about fight the power through uh, pirate radio. I, uh, I thought that was great. Untamed Heart, I think, was another film that he was in. He was also, I mean, he was like, he was supposed to be the next, you know, like Johnny Depp. That's, I think, what everybody had in mind for him. And he never quite took off. Um, But he was fun to watch and stuff. He was fun to watch. Uh, 1985 also brings us the debut of Danny Trejo, Mr. Machete himself, in a movie called Runaway Train. Did Did he play the stereotypical character? Most likely. Do we know? Let's be like, honest. I mean, let's be honest. I I remember I remember hearing uh, reading interviews or hearing interviews about him, where he says that he went to set to visit his friend, and they were filming a scene where they needed uh, prisoners or like hardened prison guys in the background, and the director saw him and he said, "You." <laughs> Can you be in the background? Because you look more like a criminal than these guys. And he had just gotten out of prison. He's like, yeah, yeah. I can do that. <laughs> it's on my uh, it's on my bucket list uh, to go to his taco place in L.A. Even I've been there, Gabe. I haven't been. Well, I just I I think it it, it came up. Uh, what did he open it? Because I'm pretty sure it was after I was out of California. So oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, because I, 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 he had a donut. I haven't had the chance. He had a donut shop. I think shop. I'm going this year. He had a donut shop and he had uh, Trejo's Tacos. I'm planning to go this year. I went and I even bought a shirt when I went. <laughs> he was selling, so he's got some kind of deal with uh, Magic the Gathering. He's done some commercials for them. I don't know if you've seen him. It's hilarious. No, no. <laughs> he's done some commercials for them. And he seems pretty into it because, like, he's got a car, his own car now in the game. It's the machete. It's like a weapon oh you can God. get. It's machete. And he was selling them online. Where you he would they were autographed. You would pay like eighty bucks and get this MTG card that was signed by Danny Trejo. It was his card. That's funny. And he was giving it away with purchases over a certain value. Um, and I saw that because I follow him on Twitter just because he's hilarious. He is. Um, oh yeah. But that man is living his best life. He is. And he's how old is he now? He's, he's probably he's getting seventy. Old. Huh? Uh, yeah, he is seventy-eight. Yeah, he's getting up there. I don't think he's, and he's still probably rock, rocking no shirts whenever he can, huh? Whenever he can. Good for him. Next uh, first appearance we'll talk about uh, Tucci Gang, Stanley Tucci, in Prezi's honor. Stanley Tucci. I mean, he is such a likable character. The last thing that I remember, the thing that like, I mean, like he was in, he was in Road to Perdition where he was awesome in it. 
He was in The Devil Wears Prada. I loved him in Julie and Julia, where he plays uh, Julie, Julia Style. No, Julia. <laughs> the, um, the chef. Um, what is the name of her name? What is the name of the Julia? Julia Child, not Style. Julia Child. There you go. Okay. Uh, he plays her husband. Um, it's a. It's just he's such a he's such a lovable character, and such a great actor. The Hunger Games, like he's done so many things. Uh, just a, a an amazing dude. He seems like he, he again like loves his life, loves living his life. He's the he's the the moral backbone in the formation of Captain America. He is. You're right. You're absolutely right. Moving Another on to Another extremely likable role with limited time. Very limited. Speaking of explorers, River Phoenix, we see his first mm-hmm. appearance in that. He goes on to unfortunately pass away like a decade later, entirely too young. I've mentioned before the movie Sneakers is one of my favorite films and he is in it. Uh, you know, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's younger brother. Whoopi Goldberg also has her uh, her first uh appearance in a movie the color purple she is a very funny lady i always i don't agree with what she's up to now but i always think of her in ghost i always think of her in like made in america um jumping jack flash just a, she was a great comedian and uh you know people's opinions and people's uh decisions change as they get older and she's yeah. got in a way that i don't agree but uh still doesn't doesn't uh, mean that She's a bad person because she is willing to converse about her her opinion, which is better than most people will do nowadays. It's a step up. Yeah. So there's a bunch of movies that, are, that we still did not talk about, which I think we're going to have to do another episode on, Gabe. Um, even this one went a little bit long, so we're going to skip something old, something new. Having said that, I'm also going to preview, guys, that um, the next couple episodes are going to be a little different. Not to give anything away, but uh, let's just say they're going to sound a little different. Eh? (laughs) (laughs) But Gabe, overall thoughts on 1985, now that we've reached the end of it, technically. Like we've had a couple other years before, like in the 90s. And this is just like such a loaded year, like so much, you know, you kind of uh, it kind of makes you wonder, like what leads to that? Like just I mean, obviously, a certain amount of happenstance and chance and just the right people. But like just so many excellent movies happen, like such a year for cinema. Yeah. And honestly, just film first appearances, dude, between. Yeah. Between John Leguizamo, Josh Brolin, Ethan Hawke. Um, Viggo Mortensen, Keanu Reeves, Lundgren, Billy Zane, and now, you know, uh, River Steve Phoenix. Buscemi. I mean, it was a hell of a year. And again, yeah, like, so there's a ton. There's still at least another 15 movies that we didn't talk about. But but I think we should. I think we should. I, I think this, this might be one of those uh, episodes where we just have a, a small episode about uh, where we catch up and we talk about all these movies that we didn't talk about here. But other than that, uh, thank you for listening, and remember to find us at at Pop Culture Hangfire on your Instagrams. We're excited for the new, the next couple episodes. Not gonna lie, we'll uh, we'll we'll let you know. Hype, hype.